All right, Shabbat Shalom, everyone. I've titled today's message, I know it sounds a little ominous, and it is, An Unholy Lullaby. And uh, you're going to understand why, why I'm calling it this as uh, we get further into today. But I, just to kind of upfront warn you, today's message will carry over into next week as well. And on that note, be ready because we're almost done with Jude. And so we're getting to the end here. We've probably got a couple weeks left. And then we're going to start uh, something else, uh, whatever that is. Uh, I'll let the Lord worry about that. Amen? So we're going to get right to it. Last week, this is where we were. We're in verse 16, where the writer brings and he talks about these grumblers and these complainers. And we went back and we looked in Scripture. We looked at the Torah. We looked in the prophets. We even went beyond that into the Apocrypha. And we looked at example after example of what these men look like. How dangerous these men are, how they can have such an impact, not on the world, but on the church, on the people of God, people who came into covenant with the living God, who have been in relationship with him, who had experienced him. And yet these people who turn the grace of God into lewdness, they have risen up, these false prophets and these false teachers, and they wreak havoc on the church. Today, the writer is going to build on this. And we're going to break ground here, so going to verse 17, follow me. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Messiah Yeshua. This is fascinating to me, and we need to pause, and you need to feel this, absorb this, take this moment in. Because the writer, as always, very intentional about what he's doing. And now he's taking you back to the apostles. You better listen to their doctrine, listen to their word, hear them. The question is, why would we do that? The answer, because it's life and death. Have you ever thought about it in that context? Whether you listen to the apostles' doctrine, to their teaching, or not, is the difference of whether you survive and make it and enter into eternity, or whether you spend eternity separated from God, destroyed in hell. Listen to the words of Yeshua. He says, he who hears you, and he's speaking to his apostles, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. And he who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. You get it? I mean, if you're not going to listen to the apostles, understand who you're rejecting. You're rejecting Yeshua himself, which ultimately, guess what? You're rejecting the Father. That puts some serious weight on the apostles' doctrine and teaching. Listening to them is not negotiable if you want eternal life. I mean, this is the way you need to feel. John says this. Look at what he says. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The apostles are the measuring line. And you may, and this is the beautiful thing here is, is that when you go to the New Testament, we get all the writings of the apostles and all the teachings of the apostles carried throughout. We get to see all these things. You are now confronted with the reality of, whoa, this this authority This is divinely inspired by the Spirit of God. I will read the New Testament as I read the Torah. It puts it on the same level. See, that's a game changer. Especially for Messianic Jews that come into faith in Yeshua. It's a game changer. 
Now they're seeing, they're looking at these words as, well, I'm hanging on every word that the apostles speak. I'm going to apply it. I will heed it. Apostle Paul says this, Ephesians 2.20, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Messiah Yeshua himself being the chief cornerstone. Notice what he does here. The apostles and prophets. He's literally saying the bedrock, the bedrock of the gospel of salvation is laid upon the prophets and apostles, putting the apostles in the same level as the prophets. I hope that makes you read the New Testament a little bit differently. But certainly, as we go and we look at what Jude has to say here, and he says, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles. What is Jude doing here? He's pulling out the heavy artillery. He wants to show you that everything I'm telling you thus far, as we've been reading this epistle to Jude, everything he's written thus far is deadly accurate. He tells you the truth, and the apostles will bear witness to what he says. And so this is why... He's bringing them to the table. Now, what do they have to say? What do they say? Well, they say this as we continue in verse 18. How they told you that there would be mockers. I want to stop here. There would be mockers. In the Greek, empiectai. Remember that word, empiectai. We're going to need it later. But empiectai is just that. It's a mocker. It's a scoffer. It is what you would call a false teacher by implication. This is what it is. Well, Let me ask you the question. What has Jude been talking about this entire time? Through his whole epistle. This is what he's been talking about. He's been talking about, he goes by different, he's brought all these different names, right? He brings the, the term dreamers to the table. He talks about grumblers and complainers. He talks about clouds without water, trees without fruit. He has all these different names and analogies for the same people. And now he brings another name to the table, this time in Piketai. A mocker and a scoffer. We're talking about all the same people here. What do they do? What are they going to do? Well, we continue here. Look at this. They told you there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lust. I want you to listen to me carefully. And this goes on the heels of of some of the stuff that we've been talking about in the last couple weeks. The mockers, the scoffers, the dreamers, the grumblers, the complainers, the destroyers of the church. They are going to be released en masse at a specific time. And that is in the last days. Now, Jude is bringing this and saying, you better listen to the apostles. They warned us this is going to happen in the last days. Oh, specifically, what time? The time of tribulation. Time of tribulation. Now think about this, follow this logic through. Because when the church begins to fracture and come under stress, when there's fear on every side, and they're faced with the persecution they couldn't even imagine, and it comes in heavy upon them, do you think that Satan is going to go around and say, I'm going to back up a little bit, I'm going to back off a little bit, let them breathe a little bit, show them a little bit of mercy. Do you know what he does? He comes in at the most vulnerable point of where these Christians are at, and he's going to unleash hell. He's going to unleash false prophet, false prophet, false prophet, false teacher, false teacher, false shepherd. He's going to inundate the market with them and create pandemonium and confusion. And I'm going to tell you right now, you go to Acts 20 and you see what the apostle Paul says to the leaders in Ephesus. 
As he literally reminds them, says, hey, savage wolves are going to come in among you. They're going to tear you up. They will not spare the flock. And guess what's going to happen? I've been warning you about this day and night for years with tears. This is what I've been doing. I've been vexed over this. Paul couldn't stop crying, and he wouldn't stop talking about it. The apostles, other apostles, didn't stop talking about it. I challenge you, you go back, and we've already, you've got an eyeful of this. I challenge you, go back to the Torah and onward. As you look at the Old Testament, watch Israel in the wilderness. When do the scoffers and the grumblers and the complainers, when do they rise to the surface? When they're freaking out. When they're terrified. When they're fearful. When... It is at its worst when trial and tribulation, they're experiencing things they've never experienced before. Like not having water. We're all going to die. Like being at the Red Sea with an army pressing in on them. They're not armed for war. They're going to die. They're experiencing insane tribulation, going through these trials. Oh, that's when these guys rise to the surface. Don't think it's going to be any different as we come and as we enter into this tribulation, which there has never been a tribulation like what is coming. I'll try to, try to wrap your mind around that. With everything that we've read, there are certainly things that keep me up at night that I've read. I know how Hanukkah went down. That is not a good story. As they're, they're, they're ripping unborn children from their mother's womb. It's, it's the most disgusting things you've ever heard. It's like, where is your humanity? It's going to be worse. What is coming is going to be worse than that, and he is warning us about this. He goes on and he says, These are sensual persons. Sensual persons. Pasuikoi. That word is important. It's it really is natural. And you go into different places in scriptures, primarily, you know, First Corinthians. Paul uses this term to refer to the natural man. Natural man. It's natural, but the implication here is, is that these people. These scoffers, these mockers, they are worldly-minded. They're focused on the world. They're not focused on the kingdom of God. The priorities are screwed up. They put more emphasis, more concern for their employment, for things that are going on, for obtaining certain things, materialistic things. They put more into that. They spend more time with the television than they spend on their knees in prayer. It's messed up. And yet these guys are in the church. The context here is they're in the church. This is worst case scenario. Absolutely. These are sensual persons and listen to what they do. And this is where this whole sermon is going to go. And I highlighted this. They cause divisions not having the spirit, not having the spirit of God. This is their fruit, what they do. Now, I want you to appreciate something here. Because Jude is casting a very, very broad net. It's a very generic statement in the sense to say, hey, they cause divisions. Because I can tell you, there's a countless different ways that those divisions can come in through these mockers and scoffers. There's all sorts of different things they can participate in that are unholy that would fall under the umbrella of division. Well, here's what I want to do. I want to I dig into this. I want to unwrap this, and the way we're going to do this is we're going to go to Peter's version of Jude's sermon. And again, 
Peter gives the same sermon that Jude does. They're virtually identical to the, to the point where scholars are still arguing today who wrote it first, who's plagiarizing who. I mean, that's how identical they are. That's how close they are. I want to show you Peter's version of this statement because he's going to come in and make it, but guess what? He, does, he doesn't cast this general, this general term around, which could apply to a lot of things. He gets hyper specific. And as we peel this back, this is going to open up a whole new discussion, a whole new realm. And so let's take a peek at this. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, this is what we read. There we go. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which to stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. Now that's a typical way to introduce what you're going to get into in the sense of uh, we see the apostles, whether we're going to 1 John or whether we're going to Paul in his letter to the Philippians, chapter 3, he says, you know, for me to say the same things to you is not tedious. For you, it is safe. And what he's telling us is, yeah, you know what? We're knuckleheads. We have thick heads, and we need to be reminded of things. I mean, that's why you don't... I mean, how many of you read the Bible cover to cover one time? Are you good? Are you done? You got it all? No. That's just not how it works. You constantly need to be reminded. And Peter understands this, but especially in this context. Now he moves on in verse 2, and this is what we read. That you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. A couple things that we see here. Number one, he says the exact same thing that you just said in verse 17, although he adds a little twist to it. That he adds the holy prophets in addition to the apostles. And again, Peter himself puts himself with the other apostles on the same level as the prophets. Because there's authority. Ultimate authority. Yeshua said to Peter, I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And if you go to Matthew 18, you understand what that means. Whatever you bind on earth is going to be bound in heaven. You have authority. And so, I mean, this is, this is a strong statement. Nice introduction, Peter. He should have your attention. In verse 3, he says this, Knowing this first, I want to stop here. This part's missing in Jude's version. Peter wants to come on before he gets into what they have to say. He says, knowing this first, in other words, what I'm about to tell you is priority number one. This takes precedence above all else. And again, why do you think Paul is crying for three years, day and night, not ceasing to warn the people Hell is coming to the church. The wolves are coming in and they're going to rip it apart. This is priority number one for the apostles. So he says, knowing this first, oh, that's scoffers. And this is what you need to understand. That's the term empiectai, the exact same Greek term Jude used. We've got two different English translations with scoffers in one, with Peter and mockers in the other. It doesn't matter. They both mean the same thing. But it's the same Greek word. Scoffers will come when? In the last days, walking according to their own lust. Now, here's what's interesting. As we continue it in Jude's version, Jude would say these are sensual persons who cause divisions. What does Peter do? He gets specific. And this is what Peter says. This is what they say. Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. That 
is what I call an unholy lullaby. Where you have people within the church, men and women, that people are used to fellowshipping with and they're there, but all of a sudden they change their tune. Why are they changing their tune? Because they're under duress. Trials and tribulation come. Who in their right mind have you ever heard go running around when things are great? Food in the belly, the heat's on in the house, everything's great. Your freedoms and liberties are well intact. You don't typically see Christians within the church running around saying, where is he? You don't. This is a time of tribulation. And these guys are fracturing. They're giving in to an unholy lullaby themselves. And they themselves are singing it to others. They're giving in to doubt. Where is the promise of his coming? See, these men, beware, they're coming. And they are going to seem logical. They're going to come in so subtly and so deceptively. Because they're already in the faith. They're already amongst us. And they're going to rise up. And they're going to say, well, hang on a second. Let's think. We need to be reasonable and logical men. Look at the hell that has come to us. You know, I go back to the Torah and I go back to the word and I see all these men. They rise up. Korah rose up because he needed to take matters in his own hands because things were going really bad. He doubted. That doubt crept in. And these guys will come in and they'll start singing their unholy lullaby to put you to the sleep of death. It is certain. If you receive this, talk like this, it's going to happen. There's going to be anything left. These men will come on the scene. And I love what Peter adds here. Oh, for since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning. And so you got these guys that will come in the church and they'll go, like, hold on a second. We as Christians, we, maybe we just need to calm down. We, maybe we not really so rambunctious and uppity. All this urgency. Oh, Jesus is coming soon. Oh, Jesus is coming soon. I don't see him. Hell has come to our doorstep. People are dying. Literally, Christians are literally being decapitated. They're being tortured now. They're being imprisoned. Where is he? Where is that promise? When teachers for 2,000 years have taken the Pope and they keep telling him, Jesus is coming soon. He's coming soon. We got people that have written books. Oh, he's coming on this date. And he's going to come on this date. No, he's going to come on this date. And every single time, guess what doesn't happen? Yeshua doesn't come. And this is what these guys are going to see. They're going to be looking. I'm just a reasonable man. I'm just looking at the historical context of what is going on here. That is an unholy lullaby. They are falling victim to doubt. They have let doubt creep in to their heart. And I'm going to tell you right now, all the devil has to do to mess with the church is get them to doubt the promises of God. The promise that he is coming soon. The promise that you will be delivered. Get them to doubt the promise that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son because we have a lot of believers that don't believe God loves them. Do you know how scary that is? We have people that have already are sleeping right now, the sleep of death. They've received this unholy lullaby because they don't believe the truth. They don't believe God's word. Here, this is what terrifies me. When you really think about this and you think about how many have fallen into this trap already and things haven't even ramped up yet, let, let, let me ask you something. Here's the deal. When you've given in to the unholy lullaby, when it has sang the tune to your heart, 
And you take that in and doubt starts to get sowed into your heart. You know what you do? You become complacent. And then what happens is you start to go to the word and it doesn't burn in your heart anymore. You read a passage, it doesn't really mean much to you. You're not driven to go and read it. Something's wrong. You used to pray. You used to take it seriously. You believed in its power, but now not anymore. You just don't go there. It doesn't mean as much to you anymore because you don't believe it. You have doubt. You, you literally are falling into the category of the mockers, the scoffers, the dreamers. How is it that we can have all these passages that you can go to and you can hear about this radical judgment of God that is going to be unleashed on the earth and it doesn't move you? It doesn't move you to repentance anymore. You know, maybe 20 years ago, you heard a message and it cut you to the heart. You felt the fire of the Holy Spirit and it dropped you to your knees and said, I don't want to be judged. I don't want to face an eternity away from Yeshua. I don't want to be destroyed. You had a childlike heart. You had this faith and it burned within you. It was confirming the word. You felt the power. What happened to, to the men and women who would, who would look at scripture and understand what, what, what the Psalms say, that you are more awesome than your holy places. And from you, man gets strength and power. You know, we, we can hear that message today. And what does that mean? It means nothing to a scoffer, to one who has received an unholy lullaby. This is terrifying. So not only do we have this warning that scoffers just go out, but you're going to have a lot of people who have fallen victim to their very message. They're already living their message and they don't even know it because they are not on fire for the living God. That, they're not enraptured by his love. All doubt. All doubt. Absolutely incredible. There's a term for this in modern day psychology that I want to bring to the table. And it's called the normalcy bias. And I'm just going to share a quick definition with you because I think it's going to blow your mind because this is what we're dealing with. Normalcy bias is a psychological state of denial people enter into in the event of a disaster. In other words, wrath and judgment in our context that we're talking about, hell is coming. It is going to be kindled by the lips of Yeshua. Okay, disaster is real. As a result, they underestimate the possibility of disaster actually happening and its effects on their life and property. I mean, this is a real, this, this is what I would call a real disease. Then it goes on, their denial is based on the assumption that if the disaster has not occurred until now, it will never occur. Welcome to the normalcy bias. This is exactly what they're saying. Because it hasn't happened now... We could go back thousands of years, all this talk of Jesus coming soon, but it hasn't happened now, therefore it's not going to happen. To do that, to get to that point, to follow that unholy lullaby, guess what you have to do? You have to stop believing the word. You are no longer walking in faith. You're on the path to hell. This is the reality. This is an unholy lullaby. I want to take you to the book of Jeremiah. And I'll give you the back context after we read the first part here. Thus says the Lord, and, and keep in mind God speaking through Jeremiah. He who remains in this city, Jerusalem, 
shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. And I want to stop here because guess what? Those are God's go-to. These are his favorite forms of judgment. When he brings judgment against nations, not just Israel, but against nations, this is what he's bringing. Oh, interesting. Page through. Get to Revelation 6, and what will you see? You will see this judgment coming upon the entire world. It will be the sword. It will be famine. It will be serious pestilence. All right? But he who goes over to the Chaldeans shall live. His life shall be a prize to him, and he shall live. Get the context here. Jeremiah has been sent by God to tell them, wrath and judgment is coming. It is certain. This is coming. But does God leave them without hope? No. He gives them hope, and the hope is if you obey my voice, if you keep my charge, if you keep my commandments, which is said throughout the book of Jeremiah, if you listen to me, oh, you will live. Understand something. This is a prophetic template that we need to draw from right now. You must listen. You must believe. You're not going to listen to his voice unless you first believe it, that every bit of it is true. And then we can be spared the radical judgment that is coming that, as I mentioned before, is way far worse than you can imagine what the tribulation is going to be like. If that just doesn't even put it into context. He goes on in verse 4. This is what we read. Therefore, the princess said to the king, please let this man be put to death. Scoffers, dreamers, mockers, grumblers, and complainers. See, because things are ramping up, in Yerushalayim, persecution's already happening. It's, they're getting jarred. The Chaldeans are attacking different parts of Judea. The message of hell and judgment is on its way. And Jeremiah comes out and delivers this message. And what happens? These dreamers, these scoffers, these mockers, they rise to the surface. And they want to cancel Jeremiah. Like this cancel culture wants to cancel Jesus. They go to censor him. They don't want him talking to them anymore. Why? Why don't they want him talking? When he's talking, he's coming in the name of the Lord. Look at this. This is why. For thus he weakens the hands of the men of war who remain in the city and the hands of all the people by speaking such words to them. For this man does not seek the welfare of the people, but their harm. We don't want Jeremiah going on scaring the people of God with all this crazy judgment talk, this doomsday, uh, the world's coming to an end, sky is falling, nutcase is messing with our world. He's making people unsettled. There's nothing beneficial about this. You want to take this even further and how scary this is? Do you know that these very same people, they were the ones going to the temple and offering sacrifices and praying to Yahweh? Do you know these are the very same people that believe the prophet who rose up during this time, Hananiah, that said, we will be delivered by God. We're going to be delivered. This is scary. I mean, there's so many stories that I can share. This is why we, we have to take this into next week. There's too much here. This is way too serious. This is a form of where the scoffers come in. You're going to see what they're going to do. We have all these examples We'd know about them if we read the word once in a while. We'd know about them if we prayed more. The Spirit of God speaking us, telling us the things to come. Guiding us by His Spirit, through His word, through faith in Yeshua the Messiah. I want to take you to one more passage. 
2 Timothy 2.17, I'm going to show you another way this works. And their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort who have strayed concerning the truth, saying the resurrection is already past. Now, it's interesting. We all know in the first century, that's when persecution started happening. As soon as the gospel starts spreading, man, all heck broke loose. What happened? False prophets came in, just like Paul warned them. These false prophets, Hymenaeus and Philetus, they came in and acting as scoffers in the very same manner. Instead of saying, where is the promise of the coming? They're they're coming out telling you, you missed it. You actually missed it. You miss the coming of the Lord. What happens when you run around and say, where is the promise of his coming? What happens when you tell him, hey, you've missed the coming of the Lord? This is what happens. And they overthrow the faith of some. Oh, my. Let me, let me leave you with this thought. What do you think is going to happen to all the evangelical Christians whose pastors are telling them, you don't have to go through the tribulation. You're going to be out of here. You're going to be gone. And that tribulation hits. What is going to happen to these people? They've been set up. They're going to rise up with doubt and say, where is the promise of his coming? That's why God has got to send his shepherds out now. And the strong, they need to rise up. And they need to start speaking the truth in love. This is not an option, people. We're going to close here and we're going to pray.